Hi, ABC. Thanks for joining us online. My name is Tiffany, and I've got a few things that I want to share with you that are coming up. First of all, we've got our senior breakfast coming up this Wednesday on October 5th. It's at 9 a.m. So if you consider yourself a senior, uh, please come on out and join us for a free breakfast. There'll be a time to hang out with your friends. And we get to hear this month from Alice Witt. So again, that's this Wednesday at 9 a.m. in room E102. Next up, we have our monthly mom-to-mom -mom meeting, which is this Thursday, October 6th, and it's for, you guessed it, moms. Uh, this ministry meets uh, once a month, and it's uh, time for moms to encourage each other through scripture and just through being together in fellowship. Uh, we have two sessions. We have a morning one at 9 a.m. and an evening one at 7 p.m. There is only childcare available at the 9 a.m. session. Um, and if you need childcare for this, please make sure to go online to abcchurch.org to our women's page and register your kids by Monday. And I'm really excited to let you guys know about an event we have coming up called Trunk or Treat. ABC is partnering with other local churches and we're putting on a community event on Sunday, October 30th in the Sunken Gardens. And it's uh, gonna be a great time. It's not on Halloween, so remember that. It's the day before. Um, but this is a great way for us to just show up and be the light to our community and the families in our community. Um, but we need your help to do that. We have so many donations of candy that we need. We have uh, booths that need to be run and we just need you guys to show up to help spread this and make this event amazing. Um, so if you could please, please, please go to our website and check this out. It's abcchurch.org um, and just figure out there more information, how to sign up, how to reserve a spot, how to donate candy, what candy is safe to donate. All of that information is there. Or if you have more questions, you can always email sandy at abcchurch.org. This is gonna be such a great event. I'm excited about it and I hope to see you guys there. Have a great rest of your day. Good morning, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in this morning. Um, hey, I wanna share with you before we jump into the message, an exciting event that's coming up at ABC. You might've heard about it. It's our Mission Sunday on October 16th. So it's two weeks from today if you're watching this on Sunday. Um, you're not gonna wanna miss it and here's why. In the morning at church during all three of our services, um, we're gonna show uh, the partnerships we have locally um, with some of the organizations. We're gonna show some of the regional partnerships that we have nationwide. And then we're gonna um, introduce you to some of our global partners, people around the world. Um, Brooke Bateman from Romania is gonna be here and Abel Miller from Africa is gonna be here. And they're gonna be talking about the work that God's doing in their ministry. And uh, we get to hear about some of the fruit. And really it's a blessing for us as a church just to sit back and hear what God's doing in the world through um, the partnerships and the resources that you've all invested in missions. And so it's a fantastic weekend. That's on Sunday morning. Then Sunday night, that same night, October 16th, you come on back down to church for dinner and uh, it's gonna be an Italian dinner served out in the courtyard. Um, and we're gonna have a little bit of visiting time out there, um, but then we're gonna go into the worship center. We're gonna have a time of worship and we're gonna um, sit down with a few of our regional partners from Freedom Initiative Church, and I want you to hear the testimony of these church planting pastors from Kansas City. Um, Will Stevens is gonna be with us, and Abraham, the new pastor for our Freedom Initiative Church in Condero, and I'm pumped to have these guys here and introduce you to them. You're not gonna wanna miss it, so mark it in your calendar right now. 
Um, if nothing else, come on down and have a free dinner and enjoy the fellowship with the church here in the courtyard, October 16th. Don't miss it. Um, we'll see you there. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic time of looking at God, what God's doing in the world through missions. So let's jump into the message. Um, this morning, we're in Matthew chapter 9. Um, moving right along here, getting into chapter 9. And the story this morning is that miracle where Jesus has a paralytic come to him. His friends bring him to Jesus to be healed. Now, I want to share with you the, the message, the sermon that I wanted to preach when I read this. So this story happens not only in Matthew 9, but it also happens in Luke 5. And in Luke 5, you might remember that these men, these four friends of this paralyzed guy, bring him, but they can't get him to Jesus because the house is too crowded. It's tightly packed. And so they go up on the roof and they start tearing a hole in the roof to lower the man down on his mat to Jesus so that he can be healed. And it's this amazing story of friendship, of community, of support, of faith. And so I read that story and I think, okay, perfect. We're going to do a sermon on faith. We're going to do a sermon on friendship. And that's really what I wanted to do. I was compelled and drawn. To, to teach you about the faith of friends carrying their friend, literally carrying him, bearing their burden, his burden with them. Um, I wanted to teach you about uh, the faith of uh, sort of the sacrifice of faith, where they're willing just to rip a hole in someone else's roof and maybe pay for it later to get it fixed. I wanted to teach you about the scrappy faith, this do whatever it takes to get to Jesus kind of faith of these guys. And I was reading through that and I was all getting excited about it. And I'm realizing that that sermon came right out of Luke chapter five. And today we're in Matthew chapter nine, not Luke five. And I realized as I stopped myself from going too far down that little rabbit trail, that Matthew has a different message for us than the message of faith that Luke wanted to share. And there's a reason for it. And I think it's important as we dig into passages of scripture to ask ourselves, what's the intention of the author? Yes, we believe that all scripture is inspired, that God dictated this, but Matthew has a different perspective than Luke. And there's a reason why there's a gospel of Matthew and a gospel of Luke, different lessons for different seasons and different audiences. And so we lean in this morning and ask, what is Matthew trying to teach us through the story of the healed paralytic? And I remember that Jesus is demonstrating in the book of Matthew his authority, and we have this on-ramp kind of leading up to this moment in Matthew chapter 9 where he demonstrates his authority over disease. Matthew highlights his authority over nature. Remember the wind and the waves. And then he has authority over the spiritual realm, over demons. Jake talked about that last week. And then he hones in on the fact for this Jewish audience at Capernaum that Jesus is deconstructing tradition right before their very eyes. He's obliterating some of the rhythmic principles that they had come to know and be comfortable with. And Jesus becomes unconventional. He's surprising. And it's challenging in many ways. And so he has a message for us of forgiveness in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, chapter 9. Read along with me as I jump into this story, the story of the paralytic. Matthew 9 verse 1 says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, 
why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. A beautiful picture of healing, but more importantly, a beautiful picture of forgiveness. Matthew focuses on the forgiveness of sins, which up until this point in the Jewish story, the story of Israel, this is an elusive principle. It's slippery. Forgiveness of sins is something that can't be accomplished easy, if at all. Only God can forgive sins, and they believe that well. There's a sophisticated procedure around the forgiveness of sins. In fact, the Jewish tradition believed that physical healing, if it were to come in terms of this paralyzed man, would have to be tied to his forgiveness. There's evidence of this in John 9. We see Jesus' disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They believed that if there was a physical ailment, if there was some disease that had set in, it was a result of sin, it must be because this person has sinned. And so they would understand the need for forgiveness to such an extent. Rabbi Alexander, a, um, a writer for the, the Hebrew world back then, says the sick does not arise from his sickness until his sins are forgiven. See, they rightly understood that the physical disintegration that we're experiencing is a result of the fall. It's a result of man's sin. But the solution was complex, and that's the problem. It's hardly possible. A systematic approach that we have to follow astutely in order to even come close to some kind of semblance of forgiveness. And so enter these four men carrying their friend. And Jesus speaks four words. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, he says. Your sins are forgiven. Now, to you and I, this feels kind of sideways, right? Like this, this guy comes paralyzed. His friends bring him into Jesus so that he can be healed. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. My response, if I'm this guy, is thanks, Jesus, but I really kind of want to walk. What else you got? <laughs> and Jesus responds by saying, well, which is harder? For me to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? See, the problem is worse than you think. And the solution is far greater than you realize. Your sins are forgiven, Jesus says to this man. But Jesus, I need a miracle. And he's responding by saying, I know. The miracle is the forgiveness of your sins. And then we see the Pharisees respond by saying, you can't do that. You can't say that. It's not that easy. See, Jesus does in one sentence what it would have taken days would have been expensive, bloody, messy. It would have required a priest and a tabernacle in order to come close to some kind of forgiveness of sins. And he just speaks this words. And so the religious are indignant. They're frustrated. Blasphemy. What do you, who do you think you are? Jesus lays the groundwork here for the most important miracle that will take place in just a couple of years. He will lay his life down as the sin sacrifice and forgive past, present, and future sins once and for all. It will be done. It'll be finished. And he's setting up this appropriate order of events 
and helping us realize that forgiveness happens before any healing can take place. I want to talk about this forgiveness of Jesus because forgiveness is first. It's the first step at moving towards God, at moving towards healing. When Jesus saw their faith, Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, he said to the paralytic, take heart, your sins are forgiven. It was the first thing he addressed. He didn't pick him up, didn't heal his legs. He said, your sins are forgiven. That has to happen first. He rushes to the root of the matter, deals with the heart before the body. The way it's ordered here leads me to believe that forgiveness or lack of forgiveness, if you want to call it that, actually stands as sort of a prerequisite for healing. That it's a barrier, it's a gate. To get to true healing, to get to physical healing even, we have to walk through the door or the gate of forgiveness because without it, there is no fruit in healing. And to anyone who may say to Jesus, I just want to walk again. I don't need forgiveness. I just need my legs back. That's the lens you and I have as we see this story. Paul writes commentary to the Ephesians church. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Ironic, he uses that language of walking in sin. You want to walk again? Great if you're going to walk again. What good is it if you just continue to walk in your own sin? See, there's a heart matter here. He goes on and says, Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, Paul includes himself, we all, meaning you and me together, lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And so I ask you, if you believe that you do not need forgiveness of sins, you simply need healing for your physical state. You need some kind of resolution for the circumstances of your life. That you are, in fact, in a sinful state following the passions and desires of the flesh. Paul makes it really clear. If you have hunger, if you have desire, if you carry out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature you are children of wrath, he says, like the rest of mankind, that we are all dead in our sin. We're spiritually dead. We're spiritually paralyzed. Like the lame man, we can't walk in light. We can't know what truth really is when we haven't had our eyes opened, our hearts healed, our minds awakened to the truth and the reality of the saving grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Church, you need to be forgiven. If, if you take nothing away from this message, this passage, when you read through and you, you see the story of a paralyzed man whose friends bring him to Jesus and Jesus speaks, your sins are forgiven. You need that same degree of forgiveness. You and I, regardless of your circumstance or your situation or no, no matter how good you might think you are or how righteous you've tried to live your life, the decisions you've tried to make or self-discipline you've implemented, you need forgiveness. It's the first step towards healing and there will be no greater fruit than the fruit of your forgiveness. You might feel like your friends are carrying you on a mat to the feet of Jesus. You might feel like you just need a miracle. But it's clear to me this morning that the thing you need most is to hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven.
Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 with me as we continue on here. In 6, he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Such an important disclaimer there. So Jesus forgives his sins, and then he says, So that you'll know that I actually have the authority to forgive sins. Now I'm going to show you the miracle. And he said to the paralytic, Rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. See, forgiveness is first, it's primary, but it's also final. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and then he picks up the paralytic, says, rise, take up your mat, and go home, it's final, it's done, it's finished. It's the same kind of language he used toward the woman who was caught in adultery, the one that was dragged into the synagogue by the Jewish leaders. In John chapter 8, he says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Your forgiveness is final. It's done. Now take up your mat. Now pick up yourself and walk forward in that forgiveness, in that freedom. Just like the language he used to this woman of the city or woman of the night, as it says in Luke chapter 7, he says to her after she weeps and she's anointing him and gushing, he says, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Same language, same word. In fact, it's that Greek word, afiemi, forgiven, done, completed. The literal translation is sent away. Your sins are sent away. Everything you've ever done wrong, everything you've ever thought wrong, every misplaced motive or attitude, everything, gone, sent away. Love that language. Psalm 103 gives us this word picture of the chasm between us and our sin. It says in 103.11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He casts them, sends them away with one word, forgiven. Sent away. A few weeks ago, Jake talked about these miracles. We, we have a sequence here in Matthew chapter 8 of miracles leading up to this moment. And he said that the, the interesting thing is miracles expire. That they don't last forever. That at some point, this paralyzed man had his body give out and he was laid to rest on the earth. That the blind man who received sight eventually closed his eyes and was laid to rest. These miracles don't last forever. These people eventually died. But the miracle of forgiveness is sustained. It's permanent, forgiven, done. And it lasts far beyond our earthly lifetime into eternity, into the relationship we enjoy with Jesus Christ. And I love how the writer of Hebrews describes that he has no need. This is Jesus. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, he offered up himself. Done, finished, completed. There is no repetition of sacrifice for Jesus because he paid the price, the ultimate price, as a perfect sin sacrifice so that it could be finished as far as the east is from the west and therefore we don't walk in our sin anymore but we walk as free and forgiven people. If you're the type of person that struggles with letting go of your sin, maybe forgiving yourself, 
I want you to hear that. Let me just read that again, that last line of Hebrews. First for his own sins and then for those of the people, this is what the priest had to do. Since he did this once for all, Jesus did when he offered up himself. Jesus did this once for all when he offered up himself. There is no more sacrifice. You do not need to pay for the cost or the penalty of your sin anymore. Your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness is final. As, as far as it relates to the forgiveness of Christ, it's done. But then there's this concept of sacred forgiveness. And I love that that's brought out in this passage. Forgiveness is sacred. Maybe the most profound question in all of scripture from the Pharisees, at least my favorite question that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law ask Jesus in Luke chapter five in this story, 521, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? It's what they're thinking in Matthew 9, where they, it says they think to themselves, this man is blaspheming. They're asking themselves, who could possibly say your sins are forgiven, but God, only God forgives sins. And I'm so thankful for the question because I think that way. Because my, my mind is concerned about doctrine and, and in our church is concerned about protecting the tenets of our faith and we want to be biblically accurate. And so we see these teachers of the law, these leaders of the Jewish time frame here that are so concerned about getting the doctrine right, that are so concerned about eliminating false teaching, blasphemy. And so they ask the question, believing that only God can forgive sin. So who would say that? And I'm, I'm, ask, I'm thankful for their thought process because it reminds me that this is just at some point for them, a young preacher, 30-year-old um, guy who comes and starts teaching these compelling messages and gathers a crowd and starts doing miracles and everybody's excited and following Jesus and they're watching him, listening to him intently, concerned that he might be turning their entire faith worldview upside down. And so they ask the question, who could possibly forgive sins but God? This man is blaspheming because I'd be a skeptic too in their shoes. And then he throws this out, your sins are forgiven. And the red flag warning for these Pharisees is going nuts. Heretic, 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 because it's true. Only God can forgive sins. But here's the difference. And this is why the gospels are so profound. Because if you keep reading the story, you realize that Jesus actually followed through on his word that he actually lived out a perfect sinless life, that he actually did lay his life down as a sin sacrifice so that he could in fact offer forgiveness for the sins of the world. And then he rose again, just like he said he would rise again on the third day, conquering death once and for all so that he could stand before us today and say, church, your sins are forgiven. So important. Yes, in that time frame, in that window, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they were skeptical. Goodness, who could forgive sins but God alone? Who does this guy think he is? But fast forward through to the end of the Gospels and see that Jesus actually fulfilled what he said he would do. And he actually did forgive the sins of the world through his sacrifice, the atoning blood of Jesus shed on the cross, so that he can say with authority and confidence, your sins are forgiven. Hebrews gives us another clear picture of this in chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service. This is what their system 
entailed. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. This process, monotonous, again, day after day after day, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. But when Christ had offered, Paul writes in Hebrews, for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Then he adds, I will remember their sin, their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus' sacrifice Jesus' forgiveness is final and it's sacred. Only God can forgive sins. I cannot say to you, nor, nor should any priest or pastor or preacher be able to say to you, I forgive your sin, for they're not mine to forgive. But only the one who made you but only the one who designed a perfect world for you to live in, the only one that you actually rebelled from, can say, I forgive your sins. And so Jesus, the author, the creator, the perfecter, the designer, can certainly say, your sins are forgiven, and he says so with authority. There's a story of a boy, kind of a, a poor Call him a popper if you want. I don't know if you're still allowed to use that term. This, this poor boy on the streets of Italy as a child trying to survive. And so at some point as he's begging on the street corner, he's given a violin. And he didn't know it, but that violin was a Stradivarius violin, Italian made. And if you know music, you've heard of Stradivarius. It's the most well-known instrument in the world. Um, up until now, even I think 200 years after those violins were made, no one can duplicate, no one can replicate the quality and the, um, just the brilliance of a Stradivarius violin. So this boy was given this violin and he learned how to play it. He listened to the songs he heard in the, um, in the church cathedrals and he listened to the songs that were sung at the bars as he tried to fall asleep um, around a corner in an alley somewhere. And he learned these melodies and these rhythms and he began to play this violin and he would sit on the corner playing his violin and people would give him money or they'd give him food and he survived off this instrument. Until one day, there was a scuffle in the street and there was a horse in a carriage and the horse bucked and knocked some people over and the boy eventually fell and dropped this violin, breaking it and bending the neck. His violin was ruined as was his livelihood and so he scraped together every bit of money he had and he went to a, a local music store to see if they could repair his violin. They made a good effort, but to no avail, this violin never played the same. It wouldn't hold a tune. And so after several months of just being frustrated with this instrument and really seeing his um, livelihood strip, uh, stripped away from him, he took a long three-day journey all across Italy to a better-known luthier where he thought it could be repaired. And he takes it into the shop and they do some work on it and thinking that the violin is now fixed, he sits down again on the street corner and begins to play. And again, no, no quality like it once was that won't hold the tune and he plays with his head dropped this sad song, out of pitch, poor, frustrated, and discouraged boy. Until a man walks by and sees this violin and he recognizes it. 
And he walks up to the boy and he says, what happened to your instrument, son? And he said it was broken in a street scuffle. And he said, mind if I take a look? And the man picks up this violin and he immediately begins to walk away. The man chases him and says, hey, and the man just turns back to him and motions for him to follow. And so the man carries this violin around the corner, down the street into an alley and goes into what looks like a house until the boy goes down a set of steps, walking through the door, realizing that this is no house, it's a workshop. And the man immediately goes to work and begins cranking on this violin with clamps and vices. And he begins scraping away some of the torn edges and he begins recrafting and shaping this violin. And as the boy looks up and diverts his attention from what's happening on the workbench, he sees a shelf with four violins that look just like him, just like his. And he realizes in that moment, this is no normal street man passing by to repair his violin. This is Antonio Stradivari, the man who made that violin. The only one that could repair what was broken. The only one that could restore what had been damaged was the maker, the designer. The one who had put so much careful intention and focus into crafting that instrument perfectly with the right shape and the right holes and the right neck and the strings and the tension, he knew exactly how that violin was to function and how it could sound. And he invested the time and the energy into repairing that and only the maker, only the creator of that instrument was capable of restoring what had once been broken. And so when Jesus says to this broken, beat up, tired, paralytic, bruised by years of insult, frustrated by having a song that was out of tune, a step that was limped, that he couldn't carry himself. But when he met the maker, the one who designed him, that man, Jesus, was able to speak to him as the maker and repair what had been broken, restore what was lost to him, to say those words to him, you are forgiven, take heart. I will restore what's been broken. I will heal what's been lost. I will take care of your physical and your spiritual and your heartfelt needs for all eternity. The maker looks you and me in the eyes, the creator. And you come to Jesus feeling like you need a miracle. You might need a check to show up in the mail, or maybe you need a health um, diagnosis to change. Or maybe you need uh, to, to simply have some relational problems go away and be resolved and you're coming looking for a miracle. And Jesus starts by saying, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Let's start there. Let me, let me start with what, what's been broken. Let's resolve that and heal that first. See, the biggest problem for this man, although it was instantly resolved, the biggest problem for him wasn't his paralysis. Now, I know I go on thin ice to say that if you're watching this and you've got a physical setback that feels like a chasm between you and some sense of normalcy, that it's easy for me to say that that's not your biggest problem. But I really believe that based on this passage of scripture, the biggest problem for this man was not his broken legs, his immobilization. It was a sin. His failing body is not his 
biggest problem, your failing body, your failing circumstances are not your biggest problem because someday when you die, it won't matter if you were paralyzed, but it'll matter if you are forgiven. Because someday it won't matter if you were physically healed, but it'll matter if you were forgiven. Someday it won't matter if you finally figured out how to pay off all that debt or pay off your house or get the job that you were looking for, but it'll matter if you were forgiven. Someday it might not matter if you finished grad school or you finally pushed through that project or you finally succeeded at reconciling that relationship, but it'll matter if you were forgiven. And for this man, nothing else mattered more than his forgiveness of sin. And that's the message Matthew wants us to hear this morning. It's not a message of friends carrying friends, although that's important. It's not a message of healing legs that weren't working, although that's really important. It's not a message for the Pharisees to try to wrap their mind around the theological implications of what's happening in this moment. No, the most important message this morning in Matthew chapter 9 is that your sins are forgiven. And that's the greatest problem for every single one of us that's listening in and reading this passage together. Your sins have kept you from living, have kept you from healing, have kept you from growing toward God. And so when we look to Jesus and hear him say, your sins are forgiven, everything changes. That's what I want you to hear this morning. That's the miracle that's presented to us this morning. It's the greatest miracle that ever happened. And it's right here, right before our eyes. If we'll simply embrace the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, we need your forgiveness. God, I could think of 10 reasons just today. Things that I have done to continue to isolate myself from you, to offend you. And Lord, I've been playing this broken violin for too long. I've tried to fix it a number of ways, taking this body to a number of music shops to try to get it fixed. The only way it's gonna be resolved, the only way it's ever gonna play like you intended is if I come to the maker, the creator, the one who designed me. And so I come to you this morning and I invite every other person that's in listening distance of my voice here to come to the maker and the creator and hear from you those four words, your sins are forgiven. We receive that right now, God. Thank you. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Uh, man, if you need to talk to somebody, please don't go through another week just going, yeah, at some point I'll reach out. At some point, maybe I'll show up. Please do it right now. Send a text message. Uh, give us a call at the church office. In fact, we even... We have an on-call line Sunday today. The church office isn't open, but you call that number and there's an on-call line. You can talk to somebody. And I just encourage you, don't stay isolated in frustration, in brokenness, in sin. Whatever it is you need to walk through, we would love to walk through with you. We've got a number of groups happening all week long. Um, we've talked about those before. A few events coming up that you're aware of. Um, I don't need to repeat all that. I just am urging you to lean in to the community that God has provided for us here at ABC. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you back here next week.